So it is with great sadness that I start this episode of the Apple Circle podcast, not because uh, anything, I guess, really bad happened, but one of the best <laughs> leakers of the Apple community is no more. We will get to that in a second. Matt, I know you haven't heard the news, so I'm sorry to no, break, yeah, totally miss this. Uh, break uh, some uh, bad news. One of our beloved uh, sources of info is no longer <laughs> with us, but uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, but uh, yeah, it's another week uh, to talk Apple news. As uh, you can tell from the intro, not a whole lot is happening, so we're talking about leaks and rumors, but some new stuff has happened and uh, some stuff we'll have to get into. But of course, before that, we want to hear from you guys. If you guys have a topic suggestion for the podcast, something you'd like us to cover, you have a buying question. We get a lot of buying advice questions, which we love to answer. We want to hear from you. You can uh, text or call the Apple Circle hotline. That number is 949-354-3508. You can drop us a call on there or tweet us. We're the Apple Circle on Twitter. Also, um, we have a video version of this podcast as well. If you haven't seen that, just search the Apple Circle uh, podcast on YouTube. Uh, you can uh, watch the video version if you so prefer. You can see Matt's cool setup this week, which looks great. Matt, I love that. Different uh, again. That shelf looks <laughs> awesome mine is um well there's a nursery table behind me a changing table a, a mom <laughs> chair in the side of the corner and that's how it roll that's how we roll here yep. on the apple circle we got the uh different sets but um matt another week uh tell me uh biggest thing happening in the apple news uh sort of world this week is there anything going on or is it just we a got... really slow slow january slash february it is slow, but we do have two things. First, I don't know if you saw, big news. Gucci released a $1,000 AirPods Ooh. Max case. So if you thought the AirPods Max smart case that it comes with already looked like a purse, well, you could take it all the way. Spend your 1000 bucks, go get your Gucci case with the strap and everything, carry it around just like it's a purse. Beautiful. Uh, aside from that, though, other big piece of news, not for anyone else, but for me. Without uh, any further ado, I'd like to present. Oh, it has arrived! My MacBook Pro got here way earlier than expected. There we go. Um, so, and it's still in the packaging. Literally got here as we started recording this. Uh, so I ran down, picked it up, opened it, make sure that's actually what it was, and here we are. I'm excited. Wow. So let's get through this podcast so I can uh, set that up. But okay, yeah, next, next that was week. supposed to come. That was supposed to come the end of February, early March, and it's now February first. So hey. Not complaining at See, all. See, we talked about this last week. Apple sort of uh, over, what is it? Over, no, Un over promise. Under promise. Under promise, over deliver. There, over that's deliver. what it is. Yes. <laughs> and uh, there you go. You guys, so I can't wait. Next week, we have to hear your full breakdown. I, uh, after going from an Intel i9 MacBook Pro, which you have, to the M1 Max, I can now cannot imagine using anything else. And I'm sure we'll get to that a little later. But uh, Matt, next week, I want to hear oh, yeah. uh, everything. Um, so I guess. First, before we get into the iMac news, let me tell you about Dylan DKT. So, yeah, because um, it kind of goes into this. So, for those who don't know, every once in a while, a source of information comes out um, that has a lot of good info on Apple uh, news. And there's one thing to have a credible source and another to have like a horrible source. And there are plenty of like random Twitter accounts. I think most created by teens just looking for something to do and like trying to be all mysterious, like Apple four five, seven and tries to leak info. And there's plenty of those weird accounts, but every once in a while, there's a diamond in the rough and you get this mysterious Twitter account who no one knows who it belongs to that tells you over and over again accurate info. And that was Dylan DKT. I don't know. I'd have to look um, in a minute. I'll look on Apple Track and see what his track record was. But I think it was like near 100%. This person, whoever it was, um, 
got a lot of leaks right over and over again. They predicted, I think there was some MacBook Pro leaks specifically they got right. I can't remember what else it was off the top of my head, but at least in the last 12 months, they had a lot of accurate predictions. And when someone has a good track record, we tend to sort of follow them and see what they're going to say next. And Dylan was the one uh, previously on the last episode who uh, was predicting what we'd see at the spring event. He was the one that was talking about uh, some of the new chip configs for the iMac Pro and He's been the source of a lot of great info on many different Apple products. Um, but now that is all about to change. So a couple of days ago, I want to say over the weekend or right before the weekend, Dylan's account mysteriously disappeared off of Twitter, which led a lot of people into a frenzy on a couple different conspiracy theories. Some believed that he, the Twitter account just disappeared for whatever reason. It was just gone and whatever it was it just that happened the other theory was that okay maybe it was like a twitter glitch something was weird why would this account just disappear maybe twitter had some issues and then one theory i heard that kind of started picking up steam was that dylan was either an apple employee or found out by apple and that uh he was pressured into deleting his account or face the repercussions of sort of the wrath of Apple, which we know recently from Ben Geskin and Jerome Concept Creator and others, Apple has started to take these leaks a little bit more seriously and have started to go after some of these people um, not so quietly behind the scenes to sort of pressure them to stop uh, sort of leaking uh, different information. So no one really knew what happened to Dylan's account. It was just gone. Some speculated that maybe the iMac... Um, info he gave us about the higher-end M1 Max chip with 12 cores, that that was sort of a uh, um, hook, line, and sinker. Like, Apple had put that out there to see if, you know, who was feeding him the info, and then they were able to find that out and just sort of can whoever that was, or Dylan, you know, who if he was working for Apple, he got reprimanded, whatever the case may be. To make a long story short, no one uh, sort of knew what happened to Dylan until he returned to Twitter to basically say that he was sort of getting out of the leak game. He said that, you know what, uh, it was nice while it lasted, but I'm no longer going to sort of continue with these leaks. And I have his thread here. I will read it really quickly as I load on to Twitter. And this is basically what he said. He says, final thread. Hi, everyone. I was planning on leaving Twitter quietly, assuming nobody would notice. But after a copycat account was made by someone, I felt I need to reopen my account one more time to make a final statement. He basically goes on to say that... Um, he, very interesting stuff here. He said, I wanted to establish that I do not work at Apple and I am an analyst, not a leaker. Interesting. We'll get back to that in a second. Uh, I do have sources, but they are internal and supply chain information sources outside of Apple. The reason I made this Twitter account was because in the past I made predictions as to what Apple was planning to do and every single thing I predicted came true. For the first year of me being on Twitter, everything that I shared was based on my own analytical methodology. Um, I also noticed that other analysts made adjustments to their predictions after I made certain statements. Um, all the way back in 2020, in December, I was the one that shared details about MacBook Pro, um, having no logo on the bottom, Q4 release, extension of M1, other stuff. Um, how is it possible? For me, it's all about um, all those details a year ahead of time without any sources. Um, and that's just one example. Look through all my tweets. You'll be surprised how many original things I shared. Uh, why did I do this? It was because... Becoming a tech analyst, it's difficult for people to take you very seriously unless you have an experience in news media. That's why um, you know, I was trying to show what I could do. Basically, he goes on to say that he's getting out of the game. For whatever reason, one, one reason or another, he's not doing it. And a little confused by the thread there, is it that he's saying, I'm not a leaker, I'm an analyst. 
But I also have information from internal and supply chain info, which I got to make sure that that's exactly that's what he did what say. He, that's what it sounded like to me. And in that um, sense, you're kind of a leaker. Kind of a leaker. Matt yeah. and I can are analysts. We can analyze what Apple has done past, present, future, and then make predictions on that. But Dylan was like never wrong. So yeah. for one reason or another, he's uh, getting out of the game. And I all of that to say, my very long-winded rant is that was a really good source of information that we no longer have. Yeah. And Dylan, specifically for the last like couple of months, was like the only person feeding us information on what was going to happen. So all that to say, Dylan, you will be missed. Good luck with your future endeavors. I'd have to look at that Twitter thread and see why he said he's getting out of so it. So he says he says at the bottom here, he says, uh, basically, it's taking a lot of time. It's time-consuming. He's working towards becoming an engineer. He wants to be successful in that. So he's kind of just taking taking a step down so he has more time to do all that um which i mean makes sense being on social media all the time and when you're actually like trying to build something and share it news does take a lot of your time so that makes sense it's just interesting because it's almost like i mean on one hand he's anonymous right i mean he, we assume his name is dylan but we don't really right. know that um so at, at because he's anonymous, then he can't really grow it past a certain amount. Like this probably wouldn't be able to become his job per se. Like he wouldn't, yep. unless he went to some kind of news media, like the wall street journal or, um, I guess Bloomberg with Mark Gurman or something like that. And like partnered with them as his real persona, whoever that may be. I don't know how this would turn out into a career. There's no, probably no money in it. I mean, I guess you could sell these leaks, but that's not a good look, especially if that make, gets made public. So, yeah, I mean, really, it's just for fun at this point, even if he does have insider sources. So, I mean, I get it. And, uh, yeah, I looked it up on Apple or what's it called? Apple Track. He is the number seven uh, leaker in terms of accuracy, 77.5% uh, with 40 rumors, which is pretty good. I mean, we're not you're not approaching the Mark Gurman level, which is 87% uh, for 508 rumors. But you also have to remember with like someone like Mark Gurman is, I mean, Obviously, he's very trustworthy, but the reason for that is because he kind of just stays in the background for a little bit, lets all these other people kind of get their rumors out there, see where the dust settles. Then he goes in with, obviously, I'm sure he has sources as well, but like kind of confirms everything rather than, I mean, he does it sometimes, but he doesn't necessarily leak things first. He just kind of compiles like, here's what's actually going to happen out of all these crazy leaks. So, right. you know. I mean, we're kind of losing one of those people that does the initial leaks, which is uh, interesting. I would not be surprised to see if uh, this this uh, continues to uh, happen further down the line, especially, I don't know, we'll see. I wouldn't be surprised if Dylan is not gone forever. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I mean, you make a great point for these anonymous sources or people on Twitter. There's really only so far you can go. You can build up a great following, but if you're not going to put a uh, official face to the fake name or make it official, then what are you going to do? Because how do you really monetize that? Like you said, you can't really buy uh, rumors, though some publications have got caught doing it. You really, it doesn't really work like that. And uh, you're kind of just sort of stuck. You can't really do anything. And yes, it's a very um, hard thing to keep up, especially with an enormous amount of pressure on you. The more you get right, the more spotlight is on you because people want to know what's going to happen. So um, very interesting to see the departure of Dylan and uh, yeah, you will be missed. And I uh, just thought that was worth pointing out because he's uh, given us a lot to talk about uh, as of late. And uh, now we're sort of limited to whatever happens to leak. Ross Young, we'll get to him. Another uh, big one. Get yeah. to him in a minute. He's been a great source of info. Mark Gurman, for those who don't know, every week on Sunday, he drops his 
Power On newsletter, which basically is like the news for the week. And it's funny because you have like the paying outlets who pay for the full thing because um, a lot of his good tidbits are hidden behind a paywall. So usually just like wait, I think it drops at 8 a.m. Um, Eastern, 11, well, 11 a.m. Pacific. I'm sure it's, well, that's, if I could do my time zones conversions correctly, <laughs> it's 11 a.m. on whatever coast you're at. And I think that uh, what happens is that they news outlets will get that on Sunday morning, then they'll dissect it, and then they publish all their articles. So if you're looking for uh, some insider info, uh, subscribe to Mark's uh, Power On newsletter. Uh, but yeah, that was it. Uh, that was uh, all on Dylan. Matt, tell me about Ross Young and his prediction yeah. on the iMac Pro. So another leaker um who is ross young goes by that name i was also checking him on apple track and he has a 100 percent accurate uh track record with only nine rumors though so on on uh on apple track they have him a little bit lower just because there's a limited uh history there there's only nine rumors but so far he's been right on every single one basically we, we talked about this last week that we were expecting the imac pro or the 27 inch imac whatever that ends up being to be announced in the spring but it looks like that's not happening. So Ross Young said, you know, he, I think he's the one who reported that last week, right? So um, basically kind of backtracking on that saying, we thought that's what's going to happen, but it looks more like summer. Then he added on top of that even that it seems like it's just going to be the panels of the display that are shipping in June, which means that the computers will be start being made then, which leads to a fall release time schedule. Uh, not that surprised by this. I mean, it seems perfectly plausible um but also sad very sad i, I want to see this imac i know it's uh interesting too it's like now how do the cards reshuffle internally at apple were they i mean you got to assume that apple knew this all along so they're like okay like here's what we're gonna you know build out with our spring event but now i guess a couple of questions one is so we're going to see the iPhone and a new iPad Air. Those are or iPhone SE three specifically and iPad Air. Those are like a done deal for the spring event. Um, but do we see a larger uh, iMac? Just not a Pro. Just a larger iMac. Just for Apple to have that in the lineup. Or do you think we see no iMac mention, no iMac talk at all at the spring event, and Apple saves it for the fall? Which now the fall is becoming increasingly more and more packed. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've seen three, three. Um, what are they called? Events. That's the word I'm looking for. Three events in the fall before, and it it looks like we're going to be having that again. We've, we, I'm not wrong there, right? We've seen three events. Yeah, there like was one a time. Se September, October, November in 2020, yeah. right when everything was virtual and it was a yeah. crazy, crazy fall. Yeah, so I would again. I would not be surprised to see that again. That's interesting, though. I never really thought of that because there are those rumors going back and forth of whether or not they're going to call it an iMac Pro, whether it's going to be an, a 27 inch iMac. And in some way, it makes sense to do a regular version of the 27-inch iMac, kind of with you know the same display we have now, um, but this new updated design, and then introduce the M1 Max, M1 Pro variants, and make that the iMac Pro with a mini LED display. Uh, and whenever that's ready, you know, release it instead of releasing it in the fall. I don't, I don't know if there's any actual rumors of that, but it does. It's it seems plausible in my mind, but I'm not really expecting it. I think they're going to go kind of the similar route as what they're going to do with the MacBook Air and the MacBook Pro. You have 
the Air, which is like the home personal computer. Then you have the professional line. Even though they're both MacBooks, these are going to both be iMacs, but you're going to have your home computer and your professional computer. I think that's most likely. Um, I did also see, I'm trying to, I was looking for it as you were talking, but I can't seem to find it. Maybe you heard this as well, but that another rumor had come out that this panel in this iMac uh, Pro would not be as good as what we're getting in the iPad and the MacBook Pro. So basically less dimming zones. So it's still gonna be mini LED, but less dimming zones, which, did you hear anything about that? Yep, in Ross Young's tweet, let me pull my Mac over here. He says, as we reported in today's DSCC weekly, no longer expect uh, Apple iMac Pro to launch in the spring. Looks more like summer, still with a mini LED backlight, but fewer mini LED zones or mini LED oh. slash zones than in iPad MacBook Pro. So in that tweet from Ross yeah, Young. The, the so, tweet that I just read that I just didn't read the whole thing of. Yeah, hey, <laughs> that, that's weird. <laughs> but credible analysts, um, yeah. he seems to know his stuff. So that's going to be interesting because we well, always... We had assumed that it was going to be basically like the MacBook Pro screen blown up, but maybe that's right. not the case. Well, here, here's kind of this makes actually a lot of sense when you really think about it, because, you know, one of the funny things that we always mentioned was that the iPad Pro and the MacBook Pro technically in terms of specs, except for size, are actually better than the Pro Display XDR. So if we were expecting that same basic tech to come to the iMac, then that would mean that the iMac would have a better screen than a Pro Display XDR. And what would they do with that Pro Display XDR mm. to actually make it better? And this actually makes sense to me. Maybe it's gonna get the panel of the Pro Display XDR currently, bring it down to the iMac, and then the, uh, the new second version, second generation of the XDR is now going to get the more LED zones, it's gonna have ProMotion, and that's the way they differentiate it and why it's still a Pro Display XDR rather than just a regular display. So that actually makes sense to me. I think that's probably what's gonna happen here. Speaking of Pro Display XDR, I went down a rabbit hole uh, over the weekend on looking at the Apple Cinema displays. So remember before yeah, the Thunderbolts yeah. or the, the original ones, and I think it was like 20, 24, and the 30-inch. And man, I know that there is no reason to buy one, but that 30-inch <laughs> look display good. looks so good. And I remember seeing it in person. That 30-inch display was massive. Yeah, and especially at have, the time. People have gotten them to work now. I think it was like 3500 when it went on sale originally. I'm not sure what the inflation on that would be today. But people are still buying them on eBay, and you have to get like these crazy power converters, and you have to like... Uh, convert dual link DVI to display port and then go through all that. And people have done it. And I'm just like, man, these, those look so good. And it makes me uh, envious of uh, all Apple display owners because uh, those look good. And the pro display XDR. Whew, so good. I just looked it up in uh this is not a sponsorship or anything. This is just a free app that you can download if you're interested in uh, Apple history. It's called Mac Tracker. You can just download it. It's a free app. Basically, every, I think we probably talked about it before, but every single app that you, or not app, sorry, every single Apple product that you can think of or that they've ever made is in here and it gives you all the info. So I looked up the 30 inch cinema display using DVI, came out in 2005. Um, and it costs 3299 In today's money, that's probably the same price as the XDR. I would not hmm. be surprised if it's pretty close. Uh, I didn't realize it was that expensive because when the Thunderbolt display came out, it was not that expensive. Thunderbolt right. display was 27 inches, and that was only 1000 bucks. So, I mean, yeah. that's a that's a big a price differentiation. There, now it seems like a bargain. I don't. I remember when they launched, but I never bought one, so I didn't know what it was. 1000 bucks wasn't too bad. I remember, though, there were two versions. There was the... Cinema. Cinema display. And then, and then there was yeah. the Thunderbolt that worked with the MacBook Pros. I remember yep. um, at our old Techno Buffalo offices, we had quite a few of those uh, in different areas of the office. Those were, those were fun. 
you know what? I'm like, no way this thing costs a thousand dollars. That seems <laughs> that, that seems low, but seems low. I mean, Apple or Mac trackers never been wrong before, so I'm gonna have to trust. I'm gonna have to trust it here. But that seems like a, a steal for this. Um, so I mean, two thousand dollars for this new display that we're expecting. That sounds reasonable. I, I'm okay with yeah. that. Uh, yeah, that's decent. Um, but yeah, I mean, this this iMac seems like it's gonna be a little bit delayed. I don't know. It, it's so. What are we going to see at the uh, spring event now? We're going to see the iPads, which uh, there was a rumor or a, a story saying that they got imported into India. The a new iPhone, a new iPad base, and an iPad Air. New models of those, which is basically what we're going to be expecting at the spring event, right? Like, I mean, Mac Mini. I think that's like the only other like wild card in there, and that's yeah, probably it. Um, that's probably a safe bet. Like the Mac Mini. You know, you're not waiting on displays. It's really just the enclosure that Apple themselves makes and the chip that Apple themselves makes. So that actually makes sense that that there wouldn't be very many delays there because they're not using as many uh, sourced parts as you would be with um, like the iMac or um, like a, a display or something or the MacBook Air. That's maybe why it was pushed. Um, so, yeah, th- that could be interesting. But other than that. I mean, the spring event is looking kind of meh at this point. Like yeah, it like, was the most exciting, and now it's like meh. Kinda. There's so much that's going to happen. I think that, like we mentioned earlier, it's going to be a very busy fall because it seems like all this stuff is being pushed. And with AirPods Pro two, iPhone fourteen, uh, AR VR headset, M two, iPad Pro, MacBook Air, all that stuff. Like uh, it seems like it's going to be um, just all pushed now to the fall. And I guess the spring event, mean, maybe there's something we don't expect, like an Apple Music voice plan or something. They always seem to throw in there something about Apple Music or Home that no one cares about. Um, But I'm sure it's going to be a very quick mention on the iPhone SE because that phone looks dated these days. And, oh, 5G, there you (laughs) go. And then, I mean, there could probably be a decent amount of time on Mac Mini and then um, iPads. I'm sure they'll kind of fill that out. But it's maybe they're just sort of getting the uh, minor products out of the way because these are all relatively minor updates and then sort of paving the way for all the new stuff later on in the year. At least that is the hope. Yeah, that's the hope for sure. I guess one thing to think about maybe is, eh, eh, this is this is probably pushing it too much, but we could see them announced and they're just not released for a long time. Apple has been doing that a little bit more lately. I hope they don't do that because I want to be able to buy the products too but i mean that's possible too just to, just to fill it out a little bit a little bit even if the imac isn't quite ready maybe they do announce it but it's just not out yet that's possible um but yeah i'm just it's looking i mean maybe you know, here's here's another prediction is that they'll really fill it out maybe we'll get an update to the home pod maybe we'll get an update to all the services that kind of thing they do that in the spring every once in a while. Remember that one spring event um, when they announced the Apple Card? And I yep. think they also ap- introduced Apple TV Plus. That was like yep. the most boring event ever. But it seems like that's what we're in store for this year. With all the celebrity cameos. And, yeah. And, and like six trailers for things that we uh, just didn't care about. I was thinking about Apple TV Plus today. And I just I want to love it so much. And they're definitely focusing on quality over quantity. But yeah. I just... It's just still a hard value proposition. My um, Apple TV Plus subscription expired. I'm like, I'm not going to renew this because I don't even watch anything for five bucks. And then um, I think my sister-in-law was here and we wanted to watch Ted Lasso. And I was like, well, there's got to be a way to get Apple TV Plus for free. And sure enough, if you've never done a trial, if you go through Target, they'll give you like three months for free. So there's still many incentives out there so you don't have to pay for Apple TV Plus. Um, but they, uh, I don't know. That's a whole other topic for another show. But um 
Well, I was just yeah. there was another story about Apple TV Plus. I'm looking at it here, but basically, so that that movie with Tom Hanks called Greyhound that came out apparently apparently is popular. So a bunch of people subscribed for it, but immediately unsubscribed after they watched it. So I, I mean, mean, that's just sort of. <laughs> and I was trying to think today, like, how could Apple make Apple TV Plus successful? And one way they could bolster those numbers, and I'm not going to say this is going to happen, but if they did some kind of like combo deal with Disney Plus where you could pay yeah. one price and get Disney Plus and Apple TV Plus with a good working relationship between those two companies, that'd be a great way to sort of give uh, Apple TV subscriber numbers a big boost because uh, that would definitely, even if people didn't use it, you'd sort of be on the subscription for both. But as it stands now, I just, and we talked about this a couple episodes ago, I don't know what they can do besides just kind of what they're doing is just keep churning out new content, see if they can get people sort of hooked on something and they have their marquee shows, but they're only one season. There's only a season of the morning show the problem, a year yeah. and stuff like that. And it's kind of, is which I guess it it's like, it's like every, every, uh, streaming service is basically like that. It's just, since they don't have any back catalog or their back catalog is very small because it's just all the shows that they've made. Then once I'm done with the show, I'm kind of just like, all right, tell me when the new one's out, but that's about it. I mean, I did finally watch season two of the morning show, which I thought was pretty good. I enjoyed it. Uh, I um, watched it too. And I was like, eh, I, did you like it? I didn't. I, I liked it. I, was, I, I thought it was fine. It was okay. It, I mean, I didn't didn't blow my socks off or anything, but it, it, I didn't feel like it was a struggle to watch it or anything. It was fine. Um, but then you also look at like Netflix and half of their shows are just complete garbage, like really bad. Um, but then there's those really standouts. And then you also have the back catalog on top of that. So it makes it a much more of a, a much better proposition, although it is very expensive now, especially compared to TV plus. But eh, yeah, you're right. That. That's a story for a different day. I think we'll we'll probably talk about that at some point. I'm looking through here. Okay, here's another thing that came out. Universal Control. Have you installed the beta and tried this? I am not on the beta life. There's too many problems. Yeah, <laughs> I've had too many problems on my Mac. I just it's like when you you know, your production machine, you want to have stuff the way it is. I just can't risk betas. The only beta I usually do was like the iOS beta just because eh, on your phone, if it was cool, it was worth yeah. it. Um but I have not. But I have seen the videos and this looks really cool and very promising. So for those who don't know, Universal Control is the ability to use one keyboard and one mouse and then go between your different Apple devices. And you can go between your Mac and another Mac or your Mac and your iPad. And the videos that people have done on this looks really cool. You can sort of copy files between the different devices. It all works seamlessly. It's sort of um, either intelligently or not so intelligently knows where the screens are. It looks super cool. And as someone who uses software that does this non-Apple, in a non-Apple way, like, you know, standard software, it's a pain in the butt. So if <laughs> Apple could do this the right way, I'm very excited. And unfortunately, I don't think that this iMac that I use... Um, an app called Synergy for that does this exact same thing. I don't think it's supported with whatever Catalina. So I'm, I'm out of luck on that. But one of the issues I have with these apps that do this is the idea makes sense. You have one keyboard and mouse and you want to use that on different computers. If you have just a screen of a computer next to your other computer, why have two different keyboards and mices or mouses, whatever it is. It may just make sense to use one, but the technical stuff that goes into making that happen is tough because there's um, you're basically setting up like a little server on each computer. Then one's the server and one's the client. And then the um, having to track where the display is and when the cursor hits the edge, it's very complicated. And when I got my new MacBook Pro, the app I was using called Barrier to do this exact same thing just wasn't working. Like I had the server set up. I had the client set up. There was some kind of miscommunication thing just wasn't working. I went back to Synergy. That's what I'm using now. 
if I could get rid of that and just use an Apple solution that always works, super exciting stuff. Matt, yeah. what are your thoughts on universal control? Yeah, you know, this is one of those things that when Sidecar was announced, I was like, ooh, we're going to get this. I can use my iPad with my Mac. But this is even better because you're not switching anything. It's not just like a display. You're like actually using your iPad. Um, I created a little setup downstairs in the basement with my 2018 iPad Pro. I had a, I have a monitor. I've got a keyboard and trackpad. And then I just kind of closed the iPad and put it connected to the monitor, like kind of to the side. So I have like my desktop iPad setup, hmm. and it's nice because I've been using it more with like an actual keyboard and mouse setup rather than uh, the magic magic keyboard, which, you know, hmm. is basically the same thing, but it feels still like an iPad when you're doing that. Now I'm using it with like a real keyboard and a real trackpad and all that kind of stuff. And I like it. I mean, I'm, I'm excited to have that experience, but also here when I'm sitting at my desk so I can set up like my iPad mini or my iPad pro be working on a video and then you know, reply to Twitter or Telegram or iMessage or whatever on the iPad without having to go back and forth uh, with like a different keyboard or anything. I can just put it on a stand. It, it seems very cool. And this is still just in beta. So, I mean, things are probably still getting worked out. But the, considering it is a beta, it, it looks very seamless, very fluid. And I'm excited for it. The one thing that you need to know about this is you do need a Mac in order for it to work. So you need at least one Mac to start it. And then you can do like to your iPad or to another Mac or something like that. So that's kind of the only real limitation that I've seen so far, which is not really a limitation. Like it makes perfect sense that that's the case considering it's a Mac OS feature. Um, but yeah, it's cool. It's something that I'm excited to use. Um, Cause then you still get those, like it, let's say I set my iPad here, like beneath my screen, which I'm pointing at, but you can't see it. Um, then I can, you know, use my iPad as the iPad when I need it. But then when I need to, you know, do like some color correction or something, which I like using the iPad for sometimes because the screen is just so accurate, um, then I can, you know, hop over into Sidecar, then use it as an external display, and then go back to using it with um, universal control. I mean, these are the features that, I mean, it's yet to be seen, obviously, how much we're actually going to use this in real life. But let's say we do and we get used to it. This is one of those features that really sells the Apple Apple ecosystem because, I mean, yeah, you can do it with other products, obviously. But you're going to be using third, third-party solutions. Will they work with the particular computer you have if you're on PC? Like, yeah, maybe. Or maybe you don't have the right drivers. Like, there's always those issues that seem to pop up. Whereas with Apple, even if it doesn't give you every single feature, the ones that are there are typically very solid. So, yeah, I'm, ex I'm excited to use this. Probably just one more thing to uh, lock me into the ecosystem. Although, I don't think I was going anywhere <laughs> anyway. I've never used Sidecar. It was always like a cool idea, but do you use it like regularly or is it just like every once in a while? Say, I, don't think I've, I don't think I've ever used it. I wouldn't say regularly, but I do use it, you know, eh, once a week maybe. It really just depends what I'm doing. Like when I'm typically working, I don't I don't need a secondary display. I only have one display, unlike you hmm. uh, who has like seven. So, you know, I, I'm actually surprised you don't use it because then that's just one more display that you can have for your Mac. See, for me, it's like the iPad is always like in transit. Like I either use it as a teleprompter right. yeah. or I have it in my bag and like I'm always using it. So I at least need, um, need at least one like portable device. I'd love to make my MacBook Pro portable, but it's like hooked up with a bunch of dongles. So that's not going to happen. <laughs> so at least the iPad uh, Pro can be that. And uh, speaking of Apple ecosystem and lock-in, there's been a lot of controversy lately yet again on iMessage on Android. And this seems to like come up once a year. And we've talked about this before. I'm sure on the podcast, we've talked about it on the Apple circle channel. Um, people want iMessage on Android. 
for a couple of different reasons. And what I find so fascinating about this is that iMessage on its own isn't even that good of a system. I think that if you're going to start from the very beginning, there are options like we use a work telegram, there's signal, there's WhatsApp, and these are like very full featured platforms that can do a lot more. iMessage is okay, but it's not super feature rich. The like little like apps and stickers and ta uh, add-ons and stuff is kind of meh. Like I've never used like a, one of those apps that you can add on an iMessage, whatever, but because it's the default, many people just use it. And I'm surprised that again, for whatever reason, there's been this huge debate about green bubbles versus blue bubbles. A lot of people think, I think there was a Wall Street Journal article about this, and people think that Apple is specifically being evil and alienating people <laughs> who have green bubbles and making them look bad. I guess it's on the surface, Matt. Is this a valid thing, or is this just overblown and people just looking to start a feud with Apple versus Android just because it's easy to do so? Well, I'm just, I guess I'm kind of confused because... This, there's nothing new like nothing really happened like what happened that brought this to the to the forefront again like did i miss something that there was like an event where people suddenly got mad about but i, I, don't, I don't think so i think I people just started talking about it there was a wall street journal article i think that talked about how iMessage is like a you know good part of the apple ecosystem it's part of the walled garden apple gets you sort of locked in an ecosystem with iMessage and all that's true but none of that's really new and then there was sort of again i guess just more talk about rcs and how right RCS, people want right. apple to adopt rcs and apple why would they because you know they just are on message and they're sort of working on that and people are upset and i guess and that's i guess one of the things when i'm thinking about this and trying to formulate my thoughts is it that people want iMessage on android or do they want apple to adopt rcs like what is what is it that people actually want because no one seems to have a uh, unified answer on what they want apple to do uh yeah that's why i think it's mainly just complaining because okay Maybe I'm completely wrong here, but if Apple implemented RCS, um, which is basically like the up-to-date, the 2022 version of SMS, which is kind of like iMessage, but through the carriers, right? That's kind of like mm -hmm. the basic way to think about it. Yep. Um, so if Apple implemented that into iMessage, I mean, they're not going to just get rid of their iMessage servers. It's still going to be iMessage, right? Like they're just going to also have RCS on the side for the Android users. So I guess... I mean, that makes sense, right? Like, they're not just going to get get rid of iMessage. That's never going to happen. I mean, the valid point that I get is people complain that the way that Apple handles SMS is poor. And especially yes, with, tap, with, with tapbacks, when you're in an SMS group chat, um, if someone likes something, then it, like, gives you this whole string of, like, Matt liked this whole image or this whole text <laughs> thing. And it's it's very... It's broken on Android. Poorly implemented. And I I understand that. But... With the argument of Apple needs to adopt RCS, has anyone actually adopted RCS? Or there's, there's been a lot of talk about who's going to adopt RCS or Google's going to adopt RCS and this and this and this. And there's been a lot of talk, but I haven't seen, and correct me if I'm wrong, and you guys can comment below if I'm wrong, actual foundational implementation of RCS in newer, more modern systems. I've heard that carriers are going to support it, but are they actually supporting it? Because the standard seems to change all the time. And that was always the issue with Google is that they had a new chat app every month, every year, it seemed like, and they never had a standard either. And it seems like because Google couldn't get their act together, people are just quick to blame Apple because iMessage looks like this perfect system. Right. I just looked it up. I'm pretty sure messages from Google has RCS support. Um, 
And they're also adding the, that's kind of what the story that we brought up was about, is that they're adding the tap back feature to uh, the beta, which is now out, I guess you can get. Basically, you know, the tap back is when you like put a thumbs up or a heart on a message. Usually it would say like on Android, Matt hearted this message. Mm-hmm. And instead of doing that, it'll, it'll actually do the right tap back, like if, as if you were an iMessage, which is nice. That's a cool uh, feature. Um, that's the, the whole story here, basically. Um, but... It, I was going somewhere with that. Um, oh, yeah. But, I mean, I kind of agree that Google is kind of to, kind of to blame here, honestly, because that they're the one company that everyone was begging, like, just make your iMessage competitor. And then one year they had Hangouts. Then they dropped Hangouts. They made messages. Then they're like, now nah, we're actually going to do Hangouts also. Oh, but we're going to separate Meet and Hangouts, another two different things. And now we're just back to messages with, uh, you know, it's a solid platform. It's fine. There's nothing really wrong with it, but they kept going back and forth in their own very Google way and kind of just wasted time. Honestly, they could have just stuck to something and actually, you know, say we're going to basically copy Apple. I don't think anyone would be mad about that. And we're going to make our Android version of iMessage. And guess what? There are many more Android phones out there than iPhones in the world. So it could have very easily overtaken iMessage. And instead of green bubbles being the outsiders, blue bubbles may have been the outsiders. That world very easily could have happened but google just decided to be google and to apple's credit iMessage launched in 2011 when things were still very messy in terms of sms and mms oh, yeah. and stuff like that it made apple, sense at the time for sure they gave a solution and i guess the pe- the problem now is that people are like well it needs to be more modern and more open or do people and again that's why i ask do people want like an iMessage app on android because that wouldn't solve anything either because i think that where the confusion lies is really on the Android side because there's Google Messages and then there's like the stock Messages app that comes with your Samsung phone and others. Like there's a bunch of different text message apps and you're going to get a different experience depending on which app you use. And also, I should also point out that um, this is a very US-centered problem because other countries (laughs) have gotten their... um, there's stuff together. There's uh, adaptations, uh, people going on, you know, Telegram and WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger and all these other like unified platforms that have all these great features. And the problem is everyone just needs to be on the same platform, which is easier said than done these days. And if you've ever tried to convert friends or family members to a new, um, you know, third party app, um, it is very it's difficult. Impossible. So it's it, that's sort of why <laughs> I've given up this, on that. We're in this difficult space now, and I love Telegram. Telegram is really great. I'm fine with it. Yeah, they've got great uh, cross-platform apps. They're adding more features. You can now do video calls and share files. It's really cool. But I'm not going to convince my parents to get Telegram. I'm not going to convince. I've tried. Um, it didn't work. My extended family too. So Telegram is cool for us tech geeks who work in the same office, and that's sort of where it ends for me. Yeah, no, exactly. I've, I've tried to get my parents to convert because I like using, like, for instance, I've got here my Galaxy Z Fold 3, which I love. This thing is awesome. But it's very hard for me to actually convert to this phone full time without having like a iPhone in my pocket or an Apple Watch connected to my wrist because I can't message my parents because, first of all, I don't have Facebook. Um, they have Facebook, so I guess we could message through Facebook, but they don't really use that either. I've tried to convert them to Telegram. I said, I'm switching phones. You're not going to be able to contact me. Message me through this. And they do it for like a day and then they forget and just message me back again. So it's just like, I don't know, I'm kind of over it at this point. But yeah, no, I agree. It's like, I mean, it worked out for Apple. Let's say that. I will say, um, uh, so like my sister-in-law, for instance, has an Android phone. Uh, She's going to be getting an iPhone. And one of the main reasons is because we always send pictures. We always do these things. And they just 
don't get to her and we just miss messages and she's getting kind of tired of that. So, I mean, it works from Apple's perspective. I think Apple shouldn't really change anything, you know, from the way they are doing things. Uh, it's just from the user facing. I get why it's frustrating, but also it's like, well, I mean, I don't know what else to say. Like, <laughs> I don't see what the solution is here that where both companies are actually going to do it. I, I don't see a solution. I don't either. And I think for the uh, foreseeable future, it's going to be a point of contention until something changes. Maybe it's Apple adopting RCS. Maybe it's people, maybe it's uh, the answer is the Android side better implementing uh, sort of the tap acts and stuff like that. I'm not sure what the answer is, but for the foreseeable future, nothing is going to change. So sort of just is what it is for better or worse. Yep. Yeah, which honestly I'm kind of fine with. I, I enjoy using my Android phones, but when it comes to like work and stuff, I'm on the iPhone. It's working great for me and it's working great for a lot of people. I mean, that's one reason why so many people that you would think would like use Android all the time, maybe don't use Android all the time. I'm not going to call out any names here, but you'd be surprised how many people you think use Android actually use the iPhone most of the time, especially for work. Um, that's That was actually one of the most interesting things I learned when I got into this industry and met other people is that yeah, Android is cool, but when it comes to like getting work done, people vastly prefer the iPhone. No matter who you think it is, they prefer the iPhone most of the time. Anything else that? Oh, here, here's another update, another another little bit of news. Uh, we kind of talked about betas earlier, but this is not a beta I installed either. iOS 15.4, which now has Face ID mask support. So um, apparently now you can use face ID on your iPhone and unlock if you are wearing a mask about two years too late. <laughs> I <Yeah>. mean, <laughs> I know. So, you know, before they introduced a solution where if you're wearing an Apple watch and it detects something covering your face, then it'll unlock it because it's authenticated through your watch. Um, then they kind of updated that so that it's not just a mask, but kind of anything blocking your face will still use your Apple watch. And now it seems like it's going to the mask, which, um, that's cool. I'm, I'm well. My question is though: is wouldn't this inherently be less secure because it's going to be focusing on a certain part of your face rather than your whole face? Well, we had seen that John Prosser leak a while ago that Apple was testing internally um, some new either hardware system or software system or a combination of the two to better have face ID work with masks. And maybe they've just gotten enough data that they've been able to sort of train the face ID system to work better with masks. But um, we don't really know. But like you said, it's a little late on this, but I guess better late than never, right? Yeah, this is uh, I mean, it's one of those features that we all knew was probably going to come at some point. I guess I maybe from Apple's perspective, they want to make sure it is secure. So maybe that's what took so long. They have to do all the validation and all that, make sure it actually works so that you can't just put your phone at someone and suddenly the phone unlocks. Um, I would like to see more things like this, though, like more ways to access your devices with authentication and biometrics like, um, you know, we started out with the watch unlocking your Mac. Still a great feature. Still love that. We got Apple Pay on your Mac using your watch to authenticate, like kind of going back to the, the ecosystem here. That's kind of the best part of being, you know, I guess actually, as I think about it, the best part of having the Apple Watch is all that integration because everything kind of seems to involve the Apple Watch. And it makes sense because this is something that is always authenticated on my wrist. As soon as I take it off, then I have to re-authenticate. But as long as it's on my wrist, then they know that it should be secure. So anything I'm doing uh, in proximity to the phone or to the Mac or whatever, you know, should just work because it knows it's me. That's kind of what I really like about the Apple ecosystem. And I want to see more of that. 
the next thing I'm trying to think of what the next thing would be. I guess the Apple watch works well. What if they did a, you know, you have your iPhone here sitting in front of your laptop and it uses face ID to unlock your Mac. That could be cool. I don't know. It's something like that. Um, I mean, it works for the watch. Why couldn't it work for face ID through the phone? That'd be interesting. Anything like that that you would like to see? I think just face face ID on Mac. Just Apple bring face just ID put on, it Mac in on Mac. And, yeah, yep, that'd be nice. <laughs> let it do that and we're, we're good. We're good, yeah. Apple. That's it. <laughs> yeah, that's... How about instead of yeah finagling it to use the iPhone, how about you just put it yeah, in the Mac itself? Exactly. That, make, that makes more sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean that's that was kind of a small story. That again is still in beta. iOS fourteen or fourteen. iOS fifteen point four beta, which I'm sure will be out in a few weeks. Um, so be on the lookout for that. But in terms of news, that's kind of it. Anything else that we should uh, talk about? I think I think that's kind of it. I though. don't think I think it was just honestly it was unfortunately another sort of slower week in the Apple world but as we get closer and closer to the spring event the leaks are uh, trickling out the the leaks are trickling out and things should heat up a bit so stay tuned for that also again if you guys have a topic you'd like us to cover questions you'd like us to answer let us know at that apple circle hotline number 949-354-3508 or um stay tuned because i think we're going to do a special edition of the podcast maybe next week we'll hit on uh a special topic that matt uh, and I've been talking about that might be uh, really good uh, and should be a good like hours worth of uh, discussion. But I think we'll save yep. that for another week. Um, but Matt, I think that does it for this week, right? I think we we went through all the news. That was uh, all the uh, exciting stuff. As always, we appreciate you guys uh, listening, watching. Be sure to subscribe to the Apple Circle podcast um, in your podcast player of choice, also on YouTube, and leave us a review because that would sincerely help us out. And as always, thank you for watching, listening. We'll see you right back here on another episode of the Apple Circle Podcast.